Let's, let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we continue our time of worship this morning in prayer. And as we turn to your word here in just a moment and we pray and thanks God before you, the living God, the one who reigns, the one who is in control. And we thank you, God, for your immense mercy and your immense graces every hour of every day of every second. And we thank you for this country Thank you for your grace and the freedoms that we indeed have been enjoying and we enjoy even now. We thank you and we recognize that this is from your hand and we praise you for it. We thank you for raising up our nation in your timetable and your plans and your purposes for your glory ultimately. And so we thank you. And we thank you for the freedom you give us. May we not take it for granted. May we use it while we have time to proclaim Christ in the gospel and continue to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen. May we make the most of the days because the days are evil. We are still Genesis 3. We're after Genesis chapter 3 and we're waiting for Christ to return in the consummation of all things. And so we are still living in a broken, sinful, sin-cursed world where people are rebelling every day, every hour, every moment against you, the living God who made all things. And so we come before you recognizing that in our nation, in every nation, we recognize there is no authority except from God that you have put the authorities you have put in place by your hand and your purposes. And so we look to you, the living God, this morning. And we pray, we cry out even, that you may lead our nation to repentance and faith in the Savior, the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other hope. There is no president who will come and save us. There's no senator, there's no congressman, there's no anyone who will come. It is Christ and Christ alone. Amen. And he is our hope. And so we look to him this morning. We pray as those who belong to Christ this morning. May we walk in our country, in every country, above reproach. May you help us indeed to set forth life and salvation and the gospel to all to any and to every single person. May you help us not be a respecter of persons, but to tell the truth and speak the truth and preach the truth. And may you help us that that is not in contradiction to love. That is application of love. And so help us to walk in love for one another, Lord. Grow us in love for you and for others. May it be deep and true and sincere. May the gospel advance, we ask, Father. And so help us. And may it advance this morning as we go to your word. May it advance here and beyond here. We thank you and we praise you and we pray all this for your glory, for your praise, and according to your will, in Jesus' name, amen. 
If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We've been walking through this Gospel for more than a year now. And we're, we started John 18 a few weeks ago. We're going to continue in John 18 and finish it off this morning. So I want to encourage you to turn there with me. Now today is, of course, as you well know, the 4th of July or Independence Day. Now I am very certain that you have many fond memories, just like I do, of the 4th of July. So back in Oklahoma, where I was born and raised, so if, it, if I was back then and as a little guy, you know, um, what we would be doing these days, we would, you know, get up early and we'd end up going to, we would get up early but not too early, if you know what I mean, so probably closer to lunchtime maybe, you know. And so we'd end up heading out to my Uncle Dusty and Aunt Vicky's house in the country, which was perfect for fireworks, you know, in the country so you could just, you know, let go of any bottle rockets or whatever you had and, you know, shoot them off to your heart's content. Well, we would, you know, gather all together, get in the car, and we'd have our fireworks there with us, maybe a cooler or two, you know, with probably soda in them. Not so much water, mainly soda, in, in the, the coolers. And we'd be ready and have our food with us as well. So we'd all come together and kind of converge on that point. And so we looked forward to it. And from then on was what? You know, a firework bonanza. <laughs> you know, we would do that all day. And then we'd end up going home at night. And we would very often leave, you know, covered in dirt and sweat and very likely come away with a scratch or two as well, you know. And so such great fun, and I'm sure you have memories you could share there too. But, of course, today is a day indeed of celebration, you know, celebrating America's, you know, declaration of independence from Britain in 1776. So we do indeed have much to be thankful for. You know, we have much... To bless God for. We really do. And we also really do have much to pray for too. Even as I prayed this morning. Well, President Washington, so first president of the United States, you'll know this from history, so this won't be anything new to you, but he chose not to take the title of king, but president, as one presiding over the states. And so America has definitively stood against that, right? Any king or monarch kind of rule. Yet, even as we celebrate today, the 4th of July or in Independence Day, as Christians, we unashamedly admit and declare we do live under a king. Yet this king is not limited by states or borders or oceans or lands. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one promised of old. The one that Dennis read of in 2 Samuel 7. The one who would indeed be the greater David in fulfillment of every good word of God. Amen. 
And I just find it providential. I did not plan this sermon to be on this Sunday in particular, but it's no accident that here as we continue on the road to the cross, we find the reality of Jesus' kingdom brought to the forefront this Independence Day. And God wants us to hear that. So let's hear it then. So if you would, look there in your Bible. We'll begin in verse 28. So may God bless the reading of his inerrant and sanctifying word. John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, Is it not lawful for us? It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I shall release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So at this point, on Jesus' road to the cross, which we've been progressing toward in this gospel, and now the dam has broken, we are here, we are on that road, and we see that already, from John 18 on, Jesus has already experienced much disdain, much rejection and much humiliation already. (laughs) 
He's not even at the cross yet. Just consider. He has been betrayed. His disciples, who he spent a lot of time with, they fled. Peter, he has denied him three times. And he's been falsely accused before Annas and Caiaphas. Much humiliation, rejection, and disdain. And now here he comes before the Roman governor Pilate. And so what do we see in that? We see that the one who came to save sinners, the one who came to save the world, it is the world who is rejecting its Savior. His own people in his own world, that he created, are set against the one who came to save them. Unless we kind of back away from that and we'll say, well, that wasn't me. It was. It's every single one of us. So this is distant from us, time-wise. But it's not distant from you personally. We've all done this to God. Now, you know, you and I, we may well know the pain that comes from being hurt from someone else. You know what I'm talking about? When you get hurt in a relationship or some conflict or something and the hurt that comes from that, you know that kind of pain. But what Jesus is facing here is great pain already. And he's got to face this alone. No one else could do what he did. And so he goes, as we read here, he goes early, likely between 6 to 7 a.m. to the governor's headquarters. So if you have your ESV Bible there, if you look in the footnote, if you have it, or the, the praetorium is what it was called, he goes there to the praetorium to face Pilate. Now, normally, the governor's headquarters would not be in Jerusalem specifically, so you wouldn't have went there. You would, he would have went to Caesarea, so in the palace of Herod the Great. But this was a special time. <laughs> so at this time, or during any feasts, but especially during the Passover, the governor would have stayed in Jerusalem specifically in case of any disturbance or any issue arose. And so he was there because that very likely could happen. And so here he was in Jerusalem, Pilate, not Caesarea, but in Jerusalem. And so they take Jesus to Pilate as a further step towards the cross, towards his death for sinners. Now, there are many ironies, and I haven't even listed them all, as we've walked through, even from John 18 on, that are being continually brought out by John again and again as we come and read through this. And, and I'm not really even going to touch on all of them as we go through the passage here these mornings. But I'll touch on some of them. There are many ironies on the road to the cross. And the one that we see here is a rather big one. And sadly, it's, it's much more relevant to 
our present day than we would perhaps like to admit. And it's this. It's the fearful falsities of hypocrisy. The fearful falsities of hypocrisy. Now we throw that term around a lot. And I think, you know, people don't necessarily quite know what they mean by it, or they may not use it exactly right when they say it. But what do we mean by hypocrisy? I mean, that word by itself. I mean, already you're like, man, you know, that's not good. It isn't good. Well, hypocrisy is, yes, the saying of one thing and the doing of another thing, it, like saying you're a Christian and then doing something contrary to what it means to be a Christian. And so, yeah, it's got that in it, but it goes deeper than that. It's more than just kind of, you know, a mere kind of inconsistency. It's deeper than that. Now, I mean, every single one of us here, I mean, we all have areas of struggle, right? We, we talked about that last week in, in last week's sermon, how we struggle and how that struggle with sin can be so, so deep. And it is deep. We have areas in our lives that we are aiming and we're seeking to aim to be in greater conformity to Christ. And we labor that it would be taken under Christ. My sin would not have victory over me, but Christ is my victory. And so I, I need Him and everything. My identity is to be found in Him. I'm to look to Christ, fix my eyes on Christ. And so we all struggle with this. And so we have that, but this, this is a bit different when we're talking about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something you should not be. I think we've become too friendly with hypocrisy in the church. Some of the strongest words by Jesus are against hypocrites and against hypocrisy. You want to know how serious he takes it? Well, look at his words on hypocrisy. So again and again, he warns, he exhorts, and he speaks the most strongly against hypocrites and against hypocrisy. So I just want us to feel the weight of this, okay? I don't want us to say, well... You know, we're all imperfect and just kind of dismiss it and kind of say, well, yeah, there are going to be hypocrites in the church and so on. It's true, but we need not be okay with that whatsoever. Hypocrisy is like being an actor on a stage. It's all just a bunch of masks. It's not real. It's fake. It's a veneer. You're acting out the Christian walk. You're doing the things. You're going to church. You're serving. You're, you're tithing. You're offering. And yet, it is not real. Unless we kind of dismiss this, I mean, how many of you have heard the church be called hypocrites from the world? Everybody, right? 
I don't think the world always gets the term correct and how they're fully understanding it, but they do have a point. So again, let's take it seriously this morning. So how do we see it? How do we see it here when we see it here in a number of ways? And the first way we see it is with the undefiled defiled. So we see that in verse 28. So the Jewish authorities here, they wouldn't go into the praetorium so they wouldn't be defiled. One sentence. Just think about that. (laughs) You, You kind of see it already, don't you? Problem. So for various reasons, they saw the abode of the Gentiles or Gentiles in their abodes as unclean. And there are a lot of different reasons out there for why that was, and I'm not going to go through all of them. One being when they would miscarry, they just kind of flush them down, you know. But they didn't want to go into these places and, and become unclean themselves. They didn't want to take a chance in going into a Gentile's living area or place. And why, why did they do that here? Well, they do that because the Passover feast is coming. And so they they don't want to defile themselves. They want to make sure that I'm not unclean. If they're unclean, they can't take part in the Passover feast. And so they want to make sure they don't go into the praetorium where Pilate is and all these Gentiles and become unclean. You got it? Now, in that then, do you see the irony here? They did not want to be defiled. Yet they were doing one of the most heinous, defiling things that could be done in all the universe, in all of history. They were seeking to condemn unjustly, wrongfully, and sinfully the one who made everything. We've got to be holy before God. While they are defiling the whole, they're defiling themselves before the holy God. They were seeking to condemn him who would be the very fulfillment of everything that the Passover is pointing to. That's why he's called the Passover lamb. It's because why? When you look to Christ, what happens with your sin? He passes over it. And he comes as this new Moses bringing about a new exodus. That anyone and everyone who knows Christ, they are no longer a slave to what? sin and they are freed from slavery and they are brought out of Egypt and so Christ is the fulfillment of everything the Passover points to and yet what are they doing and so they're acting as though they were intent upon honoring God yet in reality they were doing everything every single thing in their power to dishonor him to the uttermost. What a fearful thing. You can think that you're honoring God and you're aiming with everything you are to honor God and you absolutely are not in any way whatsoever. Because they're not. I mean, that's scary, isn't it? I mean, what a reason for us to examine ourselves in our own hearts. 
To not just simply say, you know, I'm just going to let this heart go and be free and just kind of go and be ritualistic and traditional and so on and so on. I'm going to examine my heart before the living God regularly. And so we see a hypocrisy and that's one. And then second, we see this where there are no real accusations, accusations. <laughs> and so Pilate, he goes out to meet them outside. So he does do as they are asking him to do. And he asks them what accusations they bring against Jesus. And so what is their answer? Well, verse 30, they place Jesus in the category of what? Of a doer of evil. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're putting Jesus in the category of a doer of evil? And so Pilate, he asks them, what accusations do you bring against this man? And their answer is essentially, oh, uh, you need an accusation. Okay, well, uh, that man, he's a bad, bad man. You know, he's just, he's just bad. He, he's a criminal. He's a doer of evil. You know, that's, that's why we talked to you earlier about needing Roman soldiers to go get him. You remember that, Pilate. Why are you even asking us this question? We already talked to you about this. You know, that's why they're kind of, you know, uh, kind of frustrated at him. You know, and in their answer, if this man was not doing evil, would he, we not have delivered him over to you? They're like, why are you asking this? We already kind of talked to you about this. But see here, they don't give any specifics. They're just trying to paint Jesus in the worst possible terms for Pilate. They're trying to act as though they are doing, that everything they're doing and all they're going about doing is just and right under the Roman law. We are doing everything above reproach. We're doing everything the Roman law says. And yet, again, irony and hypocrisy, what are they doing? They are condemning Jesus unjustly. So they're saying essentially, yeah, we want to honor the Roman law and do all things justly because we're not allowed to put anyone to death ourselves because the Roman law kind of says that over our Old Testament law and everything. And so we're not going to go against that or anything, even though later we're going to stone Stephen to death and not ask anybody about it. So you see, you see this problem, right? Depth of hypocrisy. So that was the second way we see it. Third, we see it with the not guilty guilty. So after Pilate talks with Jesus, he declares he finds no guilt in him. And so he offers to honor the custom of letting one prisoner go in light of Passover. Now, you won't find that custom in Scripture. It's, it's something that somewhere developed and happened but it's a custom here that we see and so Pilate asked if they would release Jesus the king of the Jews and their response almost it seems like without a moment's hesitation is they just, they just cry out with a hearty no do not release that evil man instead release Barabbas <laughs> really I mean, you see it? The ironies here? It's ridiculous. And they demand the release of a man who was known as a robber. And as we know from the other Gospels, he was known as a murderer and as an insurrectionist. 
Even called, he was notorious for being these things. And so they demand the release of a man who was guilty rather than releasing the absolutely guiltless man. So they would rather have a true criminal be set free than than to be proven wrong. Than to examine their own hearts. To ask whether this man may indeed be the one promised of old. Rather than to see and to believe and bow before the true Savior and the true King of Kings. Let's just put on a show. Let's do everything we can to keep him from being seen as the Savior. And all this is just deeply saddening because this same heart prevails today. It's not just back then. It's alive and well right now. It's everywhere. In our churches. Yet instead of ignoring it and ignoring this in ourselves and our own hearts, what we are being called to do is we are being called to face down the dark blot of hypocrisy. You're not going around like finding, hey, you're a hypocrite. I'm taking you down. That's not, that's not what you're, you know, know what you're going to be doing. You're not going to be going around to the church like here and like, hey, you know, this guy, this person, you know, they, they fit that, that area. No, you're not doing that. What we're doing right here, right now is every person, every one of us is examining our hearts before God. And don't miss those two words, before God, because he knows already. He knows who's wearing masks and who aren't. Hypocrisy will indeed sadly be with us until Christ returns, but may the Lord help us. How serious it is. It is so dangerous because it's something hypocrites themselves, they're hardened to seeing. They cannot see it. Like here, they, ha- they don't even see at all that they're doing all these things, dishonoring God in all these ways, and they are totally oblivious to it. They will defend it, acting their part, acting as though they're honoring God, while they're rejecting Him. And let me just say, and this is an overstatement, this is so serious that it could mean you go to hell. Where do I get that? It's not actually even from me. It's just from the Bible. So as Jesus, he talks about his second coming and our need to be ready. He says these sober words in Matthew 24. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the wicked servant will be put with 
the hypocrites, which are where? In hell. They'll be thrown in the lot in hell along with the hypocrites. So like I said, this is serious and this is something that we cannot just say, it's okay to be a hypocrite. We need to understand that this is not what we are to be known for as believers in Christ. So what are we to do? We need to go to him who is true. We need to go to the light of the world. And what does light do? If you're in a dark room and the light gets turned on, what do you do? Ah, you know, right? It can be hard. But it's the right person to go to. You need him. It will, it is right. It won't be necessarily pleasant, but it will be right. And then it will be joy in the full. You'll be free to cast off that deadly mask of hypocrisy. And in its place will ever be the words, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, you may be a believer and you're struggling with this. And what God is calling you to do is exactly this. Go to him who is true. You take off the mask. Christians, among all the people in the world, we above all should be the most real. We should be among the most uh, who would first admit that, yeah, we're sinners. Yes, I'm a mess. Yes, I struggle. Yes, I'm not perfect. And so when we come and we have our gatherings as Christians or we gather together as a church, it's not that we're gathering and saying we all have this together. It is because Christ is our hope. And so we we cannot come to these pews and our our churches and kind of act like we're all just great. Because we're not all just great. We need We need Christ. We need each other. We need God's word. We need to pray for each other. I need you to pray for me. I can't do this outside of the grace of God. And neither can you. So let's just stop acting like we can, you know, like we're better than each other, right? Because we're not. I'm not. It's only grace. And so we need then to train our hearts or train, may we then train our hearts to come under the truthful, truth-bearing king. And so we see this then with Pilate's specific meeting with Jesus. So Pilate, of course, he's a governor under Rome, so he's going to need a better reason than he's a bad guy. You know, that's the point. That's why he's meeting with him. If you're wondering, why does he do this? Well, this is why he's doing it. It's because he can't just have like, yeah, he's a, Jesus is a bad guy. You know, then he, he needs more than that to condemn him, at least 
here, this is why he is doing it. And so he has Jesus come in to the praetorium to talk with him. And so he asks Jesus plainly, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate is trying to ascertain or trying to, to figure out here if Jesus is a threat to Rome. Okay? Because if he is saying he's going to be a king like over Caesar and above Caesar, well, then that's breaking the Roman law. <laughs> and so he has reason to condemn him. And so he is, he is asking this question specifically, and he's trying to figure out, what are you about, Jesus? You know, are, are you the king of the Jews? Like, who are you saying you are? And so Jesus' Jesus's answer here, it has a number of layers to it. He is clarifying and indeed answering Pilate's question. But he's also kind of inquiring of Pilate himself. He's trying to ask a question that is challenging Pilate's heart. And so he is essentially asking, why are you asking Pilate? He wants to know, why are you asking this question in this way? He's not just trying to answer the basic question of it. And so Pilate, he dismisses this though. He's like, no, no, no. Uh, I'm not into all that stuff, you know. But he keeps prodding Jesus and he asking what Jesus did here. To be so hated by Jewish authorities. That's why he just asks, you know, what did you do? <laughs> you know, just tell me. So at this, we see Jesus, he points Pilate and us to his better kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It is not a kingdom born of sin, born of the curse, born of this brokenness. And consider then what relief that is to all of us. If his kingdom is of this world, well, let's consider those kingdoms. How well did it fare for the Egyptians? Are they still around? <laughs> what about the Assyrians? This mighty empire. Are they still around? What about the Babylonians? The Persians? The Romans? Surely they would have done it. No. And we could just keep going down the line through history. One by one by one. A kingdom rises and then it falls. A kingdom rises and then it falls. Again and again and again and again. And it has never not been the case. Maybe some perspective on Independence Day. <laughs> His kingdom is not a kingdom born of the line of sinful men. It is a kingdom that will endure forever. Amen. And so Pilate, he goes on and he asks him, just tell me. He's cut, keeps getting to that, like, tell me. Verse 37, so are you a king? And again, Jesus is doing more than just kind of answering 
Pilate. He's seeking after him. He's seeking to direct Pilate and direct you to his true truth. His true truth. Now, we are not in short measure for those saying they have a truth, their truth, and so on, right? You've heard of that today. We're just hearing again and again, my truth, your truth, everywhere, truth, truth, you know? That's, that's basically everywhere you turn. It's just like, yeah, I got the truth. It's my truth, you know? It's my truth. That's your truth, you know? Everyone has some sort of truth, but it's theirs. Well, Jesus, he sets before Pilate, us, and all people, not just a truth, your truth, he sets before us true truth. Amen. The truth. And so Jesus, he answers Pilate, essentially saying, you are right in saying that. I am a king, and I was born and came to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So you might be one of those. You might be searching for truth this morning. Well, God knows our world has been filled with people searching for truth. We're hearing it all around us right now. And he knows you. Well, he is pointing you to himself this morning. He's pointing you to Christ. In Christ, we have true truth. In every time, in every culture, in every period, it will continue searching and searching. And so also the philosophers, they will go on searching and searching. Universities and colleges, they will go on searching and searching for truth again and again. Disney will continually try to say, here's your truth, here's my truth, here are all these shows, we're trying to find out the truth, truth. Well, Jesus is calling you to stop ceasing or stop looking to all of these other places for truth when they cannot give truth. Instead, he's calling us to look to him, Amen. to Christ, to him who is the truth, to his word which is true. And so to all of this, we see and say that his kingdom is forever. So wherever the church is, throughout the world, there is the kingdom of Christ. And it is his kingdom that will endure. Just hear it. It is his kingdom that will endure. Not your little kingdoms here and there. It is his kingdom that will endure. While kingdoms rise and fall, there will be his kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, pressing onward. And it will not fail. No hand can stop it. It alone is the kingdom that will prevail. So one pastor, he provides this kind of description of a missionary. You know, so you're asking, like, what, what is a missionary? Well, he, here it is. This, is. this is his answer for what a missionary is. With the world under his feet, 
with heaven in his eye, with the gospel in his hand, and Christ in his heart, he pleads as an ambassador for God, knowing nothing but Jesus Christ, enjoying nothing but the conversion of sinners, hoping for nothing but the promotion of the kingdom of Christ, and glorying in nothing but in the cross of Christ Jesus, by which he is crucified to the world, and the world to him. Now, that is a description of a missionary, but that also is a description of you and me. And what you and I are to be. We're just sojourners and strangers. This is not your home. We're getting ready to buy a home here in August, but it's not our home. It's temporary. It's not going to last, and neither is your home. We're to be giving our lives towards this kingdom, a kingdom that will not wear out, a kingdom that is forever. So may we hearken to the king. It is him who holds sway over our hearts, our heads, our homes, and all things. So what is truth? It's Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is. And if you don't know him this morning, he's calling for you to listen to him, to throw off all pretenses and come to him who is true and come to him who set, is set before us all true truth. So to listen to him and trust in him and go and tell of him to all people everywhere Amen. of a kingdom better than this world. And so may each of us do that. Indeed, may we bow before him who is our King of kings and Lord of lords this Independence Day and every day. And so surrender all to the true King. Let's pray. Father, we do that right now. We just, we bow our hearts, we bow ourselves before you, recognizing that Christ is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And I pray that you would help each of us to hearken to Him. Whether, you know, someone here doesn't know Christ, that they would listen to him and trust in Christ and so be saved. Or if it's a believer here, you know, recognizing, yeah, I've been faking it. I've been putting on masks. I've been acting a lot of ways, but I have not been real. I've not been laying it all before God and just giving you my life and letting you just do with it as you please. May you, Father, even now help that person repent. And I would dare say that each of us has business to do with our own hearts in all these ways we've spoken of this morning, we've seen from your word. So we ask for your help in that. We pray that indeed we would would surrender all to our King.
In Jesus' name, amen.